This episode of Ready or Not is sponsored by Our Pilates, an online Pilates platform created to help you feel good about moving your body. Designed by physiotherapist and new mum, Han McKim, the pre- and postnatal classes focus on all areas that mums and mums-to-be need most. Han filmed these classes throughout her own pregnancy so that she can help strengthen, lengthen and support you through yours. As a special offer to listeners of Ready or Not, our Pilates founders Brooke Hogan and Han McKim are offering 14 days free of charge to help you kickstart your Pilates routine. Simply use the coupon Ready or Not when you sign up to redeem this offer. You can really love being a mum and motherhood and you can hate a lot of elements of the mothering broke me essentially it just was like quite unbelievable to me if there was a way to unsubscribe i i know i can't but that is quite appealing at this point you know i kind of like absolutely self-diagnosed myself with like postpartum depression that's great for that elephant mum um (laughs) not great for us Gemma Smith is a perinatal counsellor and a mother of two. She's also a recovering perfectionist who was rocked by the intensity of new parenthood. She did all the prep you can imagine a perfectionist doing. She hired a birth doula, did pregnancy pilates, birth classes, yoga for labour and birth, hours of reading, and the list goes on. But none of it really helped because what she really needed was just to be able to talk to someone about the whole experience. It comes as no surprise then that her work today is deeply rooted in helping women find their flow in motherhood. What I loved most about this conversation is that she somehow finds a way to talk about the heavy stuff while making me laugh too. Here, she shares the challenges she faced, why you don't have to love every bit of mothering to love being a mum, and how her experiences have informed the way she helps mothers today. I'm Lucinda, this is Ready or Not, and here is the hilarious and salt of the earth, Gemma Smith. Gemma, thank you so much for being here today. Can you start by introducing yourself and your family? Sure. So uh, my name is Gemma Smith. I work at Together Pregnancy and Postpartum. And my family is myself, my husband, and my two little boys who are now two and four, so not even super little anymore. Very busy, I imagine. You've worn many hats in your studies and your career. Can you tell us a bit about that? Uh, Yeah. So often people, when they start talking to me about my life, are just sort of like, how did this all work? So, um, yeah. So originally, um, when I moved from Canberra to Melbourne, I moved to study dance and creative arts and that was great. But then I, um, wasn't overly employable and, (laughs) um, we moved and all sorts of things happened. And I had actually always wanted to be like a school counselor. Um, and I thought, maybe this is my time to finally study social work or something in that field. I'd actually um, had a bit of interaction with school counselors and social workers myself, which is why I was like, oh, I, like, I would love to do that 
for, you know, the other little versions of me out there who needed mm. it at the time. Um, but my, one of the counselors was like, mate, just go and like, enjoy your life and have some fun <laughs> and just don't get into this heavy stuff, you know, um, without having some time. So I do appreciate that, but it also meant that I, um, was studying part-time while I was working. Um, mm-hmm. and then, yeah, I was working in HR for a really long time in the Queensland state government and that was really great and I learned a lot um, but it was still quite a juggle um, when I was learning the stuff that I really loved but I also couldn't just quit work at that point my partner and I are saving for a house and you know all those other things Um, yeah so I've done like a little bit of everything. And so were you studying part-time while working full-time? Yes yeah. Gee, that's a really busy time. And so then your work has also become so relevant to being a mother. Can you tell us a bit about falling pregnant that first time and the guilt and stress you had around identity shifts and all of that that comes with it? Yeah. So for me, um, the rest of my life outside of, you know, studying and working, I, I think I was also like learning a language and just off doing stuff and socializing (laughs) and I think I decided to play soccer for a bit as well because I thought I needed a reason to get away from my desk on the weekends and things like that Mm -hmm. but anyway overall I was just basically sort of like a hundred percent at everything which sounds I'm there's a lot of people in that boat right before we have babies we're like Mm. yeah we're like out there achieving things doing my master's having this you know high profile job or whatever um but I think a lot of us like are really running at that level that is just so unsustainable, Mm. even minus children, but with the addition of children, um, that's a whole new thing. So when I got pregnant, I'd just come back from nine weeks in South Africa where I was volunteering. (laughs) It was so good. Yes. I was um, volunteering at Cape Town Refugee Centre because with my social work degree, once I started it, I realised I actually really loved working in that sector. And I did Mm -hmm. that for my placement here. Um, But I was overseas and I was like, you know, I felt like this is going to be my last hurrah, you know, like Mm. I know we had always talked about when I finally finished studying, then that's when we're going to settle down. <laughs> and I was like, okay, well, if that's the case, then I need to like go overseas. We're going to South Africa. <laughs> yeah. Essentially, I'm just going to go to the other side of the world so that yeah. that's not going to happen immediately. <laughs> but it was like a 12-hour turnaround. I I handed in, like I, you know, clicked on my last assignment because I did it all online and then literally like got my bags and like went wow. to the airport that day. So it was just everything in my life that kind of sums it up. Like I was always just like one thing into another massive thing into another massive thing. And then the same thing happened. So I get back from this South Africa trip and we're like, cool, let's try for a baby. And we did and it worked. And I was like, um, (laughs) Okay. (laughs) That happened quickly. (laughs) Yes. Which, you know, and I actually, I see a lot of people in counseling for this and I feel like it's because it's the, it's a double whammy of, right. Mm -hmm. You're getting something that you want because this Mm. was planned. We did actually try to have a baby. Mm. Um, but then it happened so fast that you weren't actually ready for it. Mm. 
And then you feel terrible about that because a lot of people have very hard journeys for this. I was talking about this with a friend this morning because she felt pregnant the first go and I was saying how much of a double whammy it is because there's this guilt assigned to that as well. But then it's also like your your life changes overnight, whereas some people who take six months, while it would have been nice to fall pregnant the first month, they have that adjustment period of, oh, you know, we got the negative pregnancy test or you got your period, then you really want it. And so you slowly build up to that rather than you who would have been like, okay, handed the assignment in, finished my placement, let's go. Literally got back into the country. I had to have a test for tuberculosis because I was in a um, confined space with a woman mm-hmm. who had TB in South Africa. So I like got that blood test result back like three days after we got back. Then, you know, I think it was like three days later, mm-hmm. I had been tracking my cycle. So so in the lead up to this, like I, I was actually ready to start trying. I fully knew when I was ovulating everything so it like, sounds cool. like it suits your personality, which I was the same. So no judgment there. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. And this is the thing, right? Mm. We, if we're this type of person, then this is what we apply to everything. So I was fully applying it pre-motherhood. Yep. Mm. Okay. I've, I've, everything's set out. This is when it's going to happen. Then it did. And I was like, holy. Oh my word. Yeah. <laughs> this is a lot. Mm. <laughs> Basically. Um, yeah. And so then I just had I don't know it was a bit of a roller coaster I think a lot of people feel like this it's sort of like oh my god because I was excited but then I was also like I just this is so uh real and so not changing anytime soon obviously Mm -hmm. there are a lot of people also who that happens to Mm -hmm. who you know uh, there's there's a lot in that first few weeks where you're like, I don't know, this doesn't feel real and I don't want to get too excited, but I also mm. don't want to get too freaked out. I didn't even know that you are like technically pregnant two weeks before you've actually conceived. Mm-hmm. So again, classic Gemma, I'd set my like health insurance up to almost the date. <laughs> uh, so yeah, if my son had been born, I think it was about two weeks earlier or three mm. weeks earlier than he was, I would have missed out on that too. Cause I'd set everything up, but I went to the doctor and, and, and I was like, oh, um, like, I think I'm pregnant, you know, mm. here's the thing. And she's like, okay, well, you're probably about, you know, four weeks or something like really mm. early. And I was like, oh no, it was only like two weeks ago. <laughs> and she's like, <laughs> I've just got something to tell you. That is so good. We actually count back. Yeah, we count back. So there you go. Hot tip for anybody who didn't know that. But um, I guess this was like the start of the whole journey of like, why don't we know things? Like, Mm. why have we not, why is this not part of what I learned at school? Mm. Um, And that is basically how I have felt from the moment of conception to now as a mother of a four and a two-year-old, right? Mm. Just um, always learning. And just always continuously being like, man, that would have been helpful. Or like, mm. we really need to, I mean, this is why I do my own podcast, just because like we need to have these conversations. Mm-hmm. Um, but yes, back to pregnancy. I just, um, I had some really good times, but then I also got really sick from five weeks. And that sucked (laughs) it just was like the worst time of my life so were you like vomiting 
regularly or was it more just sitting there but not coming out or what was it like for you? Pretty much it was like nonstop nausea all of the time. I did have a couple of bombs, which I actually loved because I was like, you know, that like 40 seconds after Mm -hmm. you spew, you feel good. Mm. (laughs) So I got about three of those. Yeah. Um, (laughs) But it just was like horrendous. And also because I was working. Um, as many of us are when we're early pregnancy. Mm. Um, and so back in your HR role after your placement? Yeah, yeah. So mm. I was in my HR role and I was just, like I had to have somebody at work who knew so one of my friends did know so she could just like look out for me because I'd feel really like faint or, I, you know, I could hardly eat anything or and I'd have to mm. sit still. And I was going back and forth between two jobs. So I had two sets of colleagues that I had to kind of... Mm. if you will yeah sure uh even one day I remember I was sitting there and I just like I had to close my eyes I just had to stay still Mm. and a a guy like looked over the thing at me and he's like Gemma (laughs) and I was like oh yeah I'm just just really tired today but I just Mm. remember thinking like I cannot live like this and you know Mm. my heart really goes out to everybody who has um HG and you know who goes through this for a really long time I was lucky mm. that it subsided around, oh, like 16 weeks. So it was like 10 weeks, just two and a half months of feeling like hell instead of mm. nine months. But yeah, that was, I think that was the time where, you know, the the mental health stuff really started because I was like, mm. one, it's very real. Two, it's already impacted my life. Like I literally can't function mm. and I haven't really even started yet. It's amazing too, isn't it? Like a perfect pregnancy is still taxing on the body, let alone all of the other intricacies that women get thrown their way when pregnant. Yes. And all of the appointments that you have to attend um, that, you know, aren't optional. Yes, the partner would love to be there, but if they can't, ultimately that's okay. For Mm. you, you have to be at all these things. You become a pin cushion, you become the vessel you have to figure out your care provider, which I had no idea how to do that and got very limited guidance and didn't end up picking somebody who, you know, I would pick again, who I didn't pick again. But, you know, I think just the whole thing was so hard. And then I I just, the closer it got to birth, I was just like, oh my God, like what's going to happen to my life? Another yep. layer. <laughs> yep. And also, yeah, who am I? Because I had to stop exercising as much as I did one because I literally couldn't move for several Mm. months but um two just because you know I was pregnant I just my body just couldn't do what it used to be able to do I was so tired Mm. and so sore and just I just remember like vividly sitting in that pregnancy Pilates little studio doing my like super shitty little tiny weights and just thinking like this is a lot yeah, and this is a far cry from who you would have been before. Yeah, right before South Africa, I did a triathlon, like, mm. you know, and then I'm just sitting there on a little yoga ball, can't breathe, holding one kilogram weights, just like, what is my life now? Yes, it's just a change overnight. So then what was that maternity leave experience like? Was, was there any nerves telling your boss? How long did you take off work? Talk us through that whole process. Um, so for maternity leave, I was lucky because I had been in government. That's why I stayed there for so long. I knew that I would get 12 months maternity leave. Um, but I actually took 15 months because 
the social view of maternity leave is if you have more then amazing take it mm. all mm. and um as it turned out I don't love looking after babies so <laughs> <laughs> thanks for admitting that lots of people wouldn't but I'm sure there's a lot of mums or parents that are going to agree with that yeah and this is where I love to put the distinction to mm. you can really love being a mum mm. and motherhood and and you can hate a lot of elements of the mothering mm. because nobody is putting their hand up like, you know what's great? Waking up 700 times a night, mm. changing poo and wee, mm. getting spewed on, having mastitis, you know, like um, sitting down and looking at like a thing just roll around <laughs> on the floor for two hours. Like it's just, or, you know, like holding screaming babies. Like a lot of it really mm. sucks. Mm. Um, but yeah, then again, there's, you know, all of these wonderful parts that happen in between. So so then your business together, when does that come into fruition? And what did you learn from, I guess, becoming a new mother that you then took into your business? Yeah, so for me, it was more like my first birth was pretty hectic. And then mm -hmm. my first postpartum just absolutely like broke me essentially mm. I just like the whole thing everything it just was like bit quite unbelievable to me mm. I think a lot of people feel that way where they just kind of come out the other side of that and just be like I just like I cannot believe that other people have done this and survived I know um, and that it's so normal <laughs> that most people become parents it's insane yeah but I think the thing that I've learned at the other end is there is such a wide spectrum of experiences and a mm. lot of people who had experiences like I had the first time come to me for counselling because we're at that end of like it being, you know, um, instrumental births and other things, you know, um, physical stuff that happens and then lots and lots of women who have like colicky babies or other babies mm. with other like maybe health issues and things in the early weeks, um, my son ended up in hospital at one point because they thought he might have had viral meningitis. So we had a lumbar puncture and it was just like, it was just like, there was just so much in that first few months. And mm -hmm. I, he didn't sleep for like bloody four months. He Like I literally remember laying with him sometimes and passing out while he was screaming because oh, I just had, <laughs> I had been awake. Nope. And, and like, and then I, I assume he is also passed out. Mm. And all of these things like just were just so, I knew parenthood would be tricky. My mum had had set a very low bar for me. She was like, do everything you've ever wanted to do on earth before you have a baby, Gemma. <laughs> uh, later I found out that's because she didn't want me to get pregnant when I was really young. Mm -hmm. Fair. However, that also set me up with like this huge fear because that was mm. what I had in my mind is like, you will never be the same. Like which is true, but I think that that narrative was also in there like, this is it, this is your life now and this is how it's going to be forever. And I thought like, mate, if this is what I signed up for, if there was a way to unsubscribe, I eat like that. Yeah. I know I can't, but that is quite appealing at this point. Mm -hmm. in those... Were you able to share that at the time or was there, was there shame at the time or were you able to be quite open or how did you feel when you were in the thick of it? Just completely helpless to it all. Mm. I shared it, um, like, I guess with my background, like I've studied mental health and, mm. you know, I kind of like absolutely self-diagnosed myself with like 
postpartum depression easily but I never got a diagnosis of it because I just never did anything about it because I was like I just can't have that added layer to everything that's going on so I'm just gonna like do all the things that I can think of um but no there was a lot of like in the early days I like had to just sometimes beg my husband to be at home because Mm -hmm. I would have had you know I didn't sleep for longer than a four-hour stretch in a row for four months with my Mm -hmm. first and I just like I just actually couldn't function and yeah I just kind of also, I think when you have one baby, you don't have anything to compare it to. So there was an element of me being like, well, if this is it, then I just need to do it. Yeah, just need to get through it. Yep. And and this is what everybody else is going through. It turns mm. out it's totally not because my second baby was not the same at all. And I was like, oh, this is amazing. <laughs> it's it's uh, a bit cruel. I, actually, in your in your perspective, it was great that your baby too ended up being, I guess, less challenging in regards but it is amazing well, to me only oh, in that regard only in that regard then he turned into a toddler and we have a whole nother issue but <laughs> oh, it's amazing to me though that you can sort of learn all of this mothering with one baby and then the second baby can be a totally new baby I'm only a mother of one who's only seven and a half months old and I can't believe that the next baby is going to throw probably a completely new set of challenges at me and I won't actually know anything at all well you know a lot of things and I think <laughs> what it comes down to is for people who find one of the harder things change like the identity shift and that Mm -hmm. whole like real shift into like uh the strength and resilience that it takes to just uh, be in this role Mm -hmm. that part you've got down Mm -hmm. that's a really good point did you decide did you I guess jostle with the idea of returning to work early yeah so that's what I did. Mm. Um, so basically we got to like the eight month or ish mark and I was like, mm. like things had gotten better. He was sleeping mm. during the night and all that sort of stuff. But I was still just like, this just is so hard. And mm. not that I don't, you know, lo- love it. Mm. It just is, it just was what it was it for me. It wasn't working for you full time. No. Nah. I'm I'm definitely 110% not a full-time parent. That is mm. just not how my, that is just not how I roll. So, mm. um, so I looked for a new job because I didn't want to just cut my maternity leave. I didn't want to go back to the job that I'd been in because it mm. like it had changed. And anyway, so I looked for a new job. I applied for it and I got, I got it. Um, and I went back to work when that, son was 10 and a half or 11 months old Mm -hmm. Um, and how many days a week were you back at work to begin with three days and did you build up from there or is that how you stayed in that role no always stayed at three days but that was an interesting time because I went back to work in August Mm -hmm. 2019 Mm -hmm. and I was pregnant again in November 2019 oh wow and then COVID happened. So, of course. so was that, there any trepidation going into that second pregnancy? A hundred percent. Literally mm. when I started that job, I did not think I would be pregnant again. Mm. Like that soon. I was not, I, you know, I was literally going to work so that I could be like, thank God. Like, you know, no and, more babies. <laughs> yeah. And I loved it. Like I loved going to work. I loved mm. being around my colleagues. I loved getting to have that space I Mm. went to the gym at lunchtime it was like so good because 
it was this really socially valid way for a mum to have alone time, Mm. which we just don't get a lot of, not saying that's right or wrong. It just kind of a lot of what I hear from people is that like, you know, I feel guilty or people won't cover me just so that I can go for a walk, but people will cover you if you're working. Mm. And you've already dropped them off for the day. So the day is yours. A hundred percent. So you get Mm. to do what you want, obviously with the work involved. Um, Yeah. So I definitely wasn't planning to get pregnant again straight away. I did want like a two-ish year gap. So I knew it would be whatever, but I thought it would be earlier in the next year, maybe. Mm. Um, And I was just going to enjoy things. And I remember I was doing like an F45 challenge um, and I started to feel really good. Mm. And then I was like, I can't feel this good and go back. So I just have to do it now. I was like, <laughs> I just need to get, I just need mm. to do this because I, if I start feeling better than I feel now, it's going to just be so, so hard to willingly do this again. Mm. That's that really was my experience with my body and what I knew that it would do in pregnancy and how I mm. knew that I felt in postpartum. I was like, oh, I just, for me, it felt like the escape was get in and just, like do this really, really hard part all in one big go. And so what did you learn from your first postpartum experience that you then may have let inform and prepare you for that second postpartum experience? One thing that I did, um, I had some like issues after my birth, um, which I thought was like a prolapse or something, but it turns out it wasn't. Turns out it was like a hormonal thing from breastfeeding. So I'd gone on this kind of like, I tried to exercise, things weren't working. I still felt like I couldn't walk properly and Mm -hmm. through all sorts of things, going to a women's health physio. Then I go to this really great gynecologist. She gives me this cream. I'm sorted in 10 days and I've been waiting, you know, 10 months to feel normal again. Yeah. So she became my second obstetrician because I was like, I like this. And she just had a better Um, she was very personable. She was like almost guaranteed to be at my birth. Um, whereas the first one kind of like worked in one of those, I can't remember what they're called. (laughs) I keep going to like call them like a posse or a gang, but that's not what you call obstetricians. Anyway, she had a posse of people and then whoever Mm -hmm. was there, um, was just going to be there. But, um, Mm -hmm. so that was one thing I always knew I wanted a different person doing the whole healthcare provision thing because it just didn't work out for me the last time I needed um, a certain type of personality and somebody who's like quite caring and all of that sort of thing. So picked her. That's something that I always want to say to pregnant women is that you can change that provider at any time. Do it in week 39 if you want to do it. Like Mm. it's a real thing. If you're not feeling good, which could have led you to not figuring out what was wrong with you, right? Because you obviously pushed to figure out why you still weren't feeling well. If you didn't go to her and get that cream. It might have continued to be an issue. Yep. Mm-hmm. And I'd gone to, you know, it just, yeah, it's like this effect. But these are the things that I think are so important in your mm-hmm. first postpartum. You do learn all of this stuff and mm-hmm. it's all through experience. It's motherhood is such experiential learning and it's a pain. But at the same time, yeah, for a second postpartum, great. I already knew straight after I'll go to a women's health physio You know, Mm -hmm. like all the things that I couldn't have been on top of. Um, I think the other thing was um, I had a mother's group from my first child Mm -hmm. and we have 
a great group of people and it had been awesome. And that was actually kind of what I did for my job in postpartum. I kind of like ran that. Oh, I, <laughs> I love just... that. A bit of project management just to keep things interesting. Mate, at the end of our four <laughs> week community health thing, I came in with a, I, I shit you not, a spreadsheet and I got <laughs> everybody to like tick the days that they're available and oh, put funny. everybody's Did you scare anyone off? <laughs> everyone was like, thank God somebody else is doing it. That's great. They're like, this is so cool. So this yeah, we had, cool. we got like matching jumpers. We go on holidays together now still. It's like almost it. five years later. Yeah. So anyway, mm. that was great. And then I obviously still had a lot of those women in my second postpartum, but I think the hardest part about the whole second experience was it was COVID and mm. it was early COVID. So I had not made the decision to be pregnant during COVID. I got pregnant before it. And by yes. the time we knew everything, what was going on, I was like very pregnant mm. and it felt like being on a train, like a runaway train because everybody was stopping or canceling everything else. And I couldn't stop or cancel it nor did I want to, but I also thought, like, oh my God, what, what's happening? Yeah. And like, what, mm. what, um, is my partner going to be able to be at the birth? I had to go to everything on my own. Um, it was like, I mean, I did feel really lucky that this wasn't my first baby, um, mm -hmm. because I really felt for people who missed all of those kind of like really important, um, experiences yeah, that people have. Yeah, it takes have. a bit of the romance out of what should be like a really blissful, exciting time. No doubt filled with nervousness as well, but it sort of takes an element of that bliss out of it, I guess. And also all of the rites of passage, which are like really important. And I know that we we don't often, we don't think of ourselves as having a culture, but we have a culture and in our culture, it's really important to have, you know, your baby showers or your mother blessings mm -hmm. or your, you know, it is important to have your partner come along to things. See it's the important. scan for the first time. Yep. Mm. And it's part of pregnancy to be walking around and people smiling at you and commenting mm -hmm. on mm. you and opening doors for you and doing nice stuff for you. And it's part of your experience to like, have a lead up where the community mm -hmm. is, you know, actually supporting you. I've yep. never thought about that too, because then you're taking away layers of support that then might not set you up as well in motherhood to be like, I need support. A hundred percent. On the mm. flip side to that, there was great parts about it. Like the fact that the yoga that I really loved doing, um, it was on the North side and I couldn't get there. Like I couldn't have got there with a toddler at nighttime, mm. but I could get there on zoom at nighttime. So I did get to do some stuff that I otherwise wouldn't have been able to do. And though everybody else was really upset about not being able to mm. go, I was like, you know, this is allowing me to do it when mm. I otherwise couldn't. So mm, that's interesting. And were you working full time from home during that or sorry, three days from home during that? I was, and it was <laughs> so terrible um, because uh, I had a toddler who. In daycare, I imagine. Daycare was shut. So mm. there was me and my husband and the toddler at home. My husband yeah. also works full time. So we were just trying to take like hours at a time. And, you know, luckily my work was able, I ended up working five days a week and just doing a couple of hours a day mm. 
wherever it fit. And I would literally sometimes work at nighttime or I'd sometimes be there in the day and I'd try and get to the things. But like, you know, I just have memories of like one time I had to run a meeting and I ran it by holding my computer, walking around the house and my toddler by the end of this like 20 minute meeting had actually a bottle of rum that he had opened. And I was like, oh my God. And you know, like before that I'd like thrown a banana and he was like in the Mm, toilet and I was just like, this is just, you know. That sounds peak like working moms, that show on Netflix. It was absolutely all of that. And I was like, this is not ideal. So, yeah. So I think everything was so different mm. um, that time. There were some good and some bad things. But I think because of that, like the question of like, what did I do that was, you know, the same or different? The whole thing was so different that, you know, the main applicable thing for me passing over was just the fact that I knew that I could be a mum and you knew that you got through that experience that was really challenging yes from a challenging birth to a challenging postpartum you got through it and you knew that you did yeah and I knew I could that is a very good lesson and it's some mums unfortunately probably wouldn't be able to give themselves that credit so it's great that you could even though you'd been through such a big time then this new postpartum plays out and you have quite a different baby can you tell us a bit about that experience and Did it feel easier just because of having such a different baby or was it partly because you also felt more equipped? Uh, I think probably a bit of both. The other Mm. element that I did want to quickly touch on was that I got, I still got really sick in this second pregnancy, Uh, like mm. really sick. And when you add like the sickness and COVID and trying to work and all of that, I actually think of my whole parenting career, those were the, that was the worst. And you had a toddler. Yeah. So that was really hard. But then when we get to his birth, the birth was much better um Mm -hmm. I did have like I did almost have him a couple of weeks earlier Mm -hmm. um and I was at a park with my mother's group this is the first time we'd seen each other in like the whole year Mm -hmm. and then all of a sudden I just start getting contractions and then I drove myself to hospital because uh, nobody else could (laughs) um and and my toddler was in the car so it was like all (laughs) the baby sweetie (laughs) yeah so I had to call my husband and be like can you just meet us at the hospital so that you can sit with the toddler so that I can Mm. actually go in and like I stayed overnight anyway had him so my first birth was like 11 hours there was all sorts of crazy stuff that went down I like couldn't stand up I couldn't even like think afterwards Mm. and everything was so bad my son just like didn't sleep and nipples were bleeding and you know like all the Mm. things all of the bad things happened yes second one it was like a five hour thing it was all really controlled I found out by pure chance of having the same anesthetist the second time what happened the first time because she had given me a full spinal which is not what I believe that I asked for the first time Um, but I would never have known that if it hadn't have been for this pure fate moment of seeing her the second time anyway that's a whole nother story but um yeah five hour labor pushed him out in three you know three pushes uh he was just a little delight like he just he was just so chill and just like he slept the Amazing. first night. He never got wow. tried to get out of his swaddle. He just was like, he was just such a cool little dude. And actually, when this happens, this actually happens to a lot of people who mm. I counsel, um, a second baby being easier than a mm. first. And it's great, but it also makes you feel really guilty. Oh, that's really interesting. <laughs> Why is that? Because you love Enjoy the, experience the experience of them. Oh, I've never even thought of that. 
Yeah. So it's something that I, when I um, am counseling pregnant women, because I see a lot of people who are about to have their second babies mm. and, uh, and I, I kind of note that that can be the case that even though like, this is like clearly what we wish for, right? Like we all want to have a, a potentially nicer experience if it's been mm. tricky, mm. but I just felt kind of super guilty because I was like oh my god I really love this guy like this is so nice and I'm just having a really nice time here it wasn't that it wasn't hard it still like definitely was the feeding was really tricky again it was painful but he slept and he was just so easy and like to the point where you know with my first I literally like smashed through the whole of the guilty feminist podcast while Mm. I was awake with him Mm. a billion hours a night and this time this guy would just like feed and just go to sleep in didn't his have time for podcasts i didn't and i was like i feel a little bit ripped off to be fair <laughs> I, really, I kind of enjoyed that you. time <laughs> that's great so then when does together when do you launch together and when do you actually start working as a counselor from here um so it was around uh probably like three or four months in after um my second things Mm -hmm. are still going well like obviously I'm still tired or whatever um and there's still things that are tricky um like he would never let me co-sleep with him which was really annoying because if he was sick Mm -hmm. my other child would always just lay next to me whereas this guy wouldn't I'd have to sit up all night holding him which is like a total SIDS no-no but I definitely slept sitting up a thousand nights well I mean what are you meant to do I know (laughs) that you're not meant to but like you literally just fall asleep they can't help that. <laughs> yeah, there are some nights these things happen. So, um, yes. yeah, so there was a lot of that. But basically I just knew from this time that I didn't want to go back to the type of work that I was doing. I really mm. wanted to use my degree because now the kind of all of the markers had been done. I knew I had to stay in my jobs until my maternity leaves were up and I knew we were having two babies and here's this second mm. baby. And I was like, sweet, I have done my time, mm. you know, I've was done my free? duties. Did that so feel free. quite free? Mm. Totally. I was like, this is it. This is my time. And there's so, nothing like motherhood to make you want to work in the exact field that you want to work in too, I think. You're sort of like, well, I've only got this amount of time now and you feel quite creative, I think, after giving birth. So you really want to focus your energies where you want to focus them. Totally. I was even just having this conversation with um, a lady in my DMs before who mm. like we, uh, she was a client earlier in the year, but we were talking about, you know, she's saying, I kind of like, I want to enjoy my job because I have to justify spending the time away from my kids now. Mm. And mm. if I hate all the time I spend away from them, then it's just not worth it, even if financially it is. So yeah, there's a lot of that. It definitely does do that. Um, and I was like, yep, this is it. I'm just, I've got to do something. Um there aren't a whole lot of social work jobs uh, in the perinatal area. Mm-hmm. Um, and I guess the bit that we kind of missed through it all is um, in my first pregnancy, I'd called the Panda helpline um, okay. and got support there because mm-hmm. I just like mm-hmm. was absolutely freaking out about yep. what this meant for my life. But I really wanted yeah. to just talk to somebody about it. I didn't want to like have to go and get a mental health care plan and do all this sort of stuff and like jump through a thousand hoops. I just wanted to like chat to somebody who could be like, yeah, you know, this is hard. And I could be like, thank you. Yeah. Thanks for just saying that. (laughs) Yeah. And so then I had, I, then I did have to get a mental health care plan. Then I did, you know, have to go on a freaking four month wait list to see this Mm -hmm. person who then did just 
give me heaps of forms and tick box things and wasn't paying attention when I was speaking mm. and just wasn't my person. Mm. And I was just like, this is just all so disappointing. Like this is me who's like proactive, mm. 100% for this. I feel, I understand the mental health landscape. I, mm. I get mm. all of it. And I'm like privileged. I've got the money to go and do this. I've got, mm. you know, I've got access. And even I have like a terrible time. This. Yeah, that's really interesting. <laughs> so for someone that couldn't advocate, or had less knowledge of the field, like how on earth would they go about it? They'd probably give up before they even got there because it was too hard or they felt too vulnerable. Yep. Yeah. Mm. I feel vulnerable when I do it. I still feel a little bit vulnerable before my counselling sessions. Like it's just mm. you. nobody feels great about being like, so <laughs> I'm not I'm doing so great I'm just going to lay out my week. issues. <laughs> yeah, yeah, um, yeah. <laughs> but uh, I wanted to create that. Right. Mm. I just wanted to create somewhere where people could come along. They don't have to have a mental health care plan. They can just like come and say the things and I can be like, yes, this is actually really hard and that's totally valid. And, you know, let's just talk. And Mm. I find a lot of people have come to me for the reason of like they don't necessarily want a mental health care plan or, you know, for them, this kind of like wobbly feeling and mental health is like one of the first times that it's happened to them or they've been able to like really cope quite well with fluctuating mental health and then motherhood hits or mm-hmm. pregnancy hits and it's just like, boom, that you're not getting away much. from it now, mm-hmm. <laughs> right? Yeah, we avoid, we avoid, we avoid and then you can't avoid any longer. <laughs> well, we avoid often by making ourselves really busy and by overachieving and then when you can't do that, you can't get away from it hard work doesn't necessarily equal better results as a parent which is I think the first time you really hit in the face with the reality that some things you just cannot control and parenting is a huge one for that yeah and even within that there are a lot of things that we are kind of led to believe that we can control to a certain extent Um, you know, even like, how do we set things up for success? Like, yeah, absolutely. We can do like lots of things to set things up, but there's also like a lot to be said about having the skills to cope with the fact that there's a very good chance that not everything's going to line up Mm. a lot of the time in parenthood. Mm -hmm. What are your main sorts of clients that come to you and what are your key areas of focus? Yeah. So I'd say like my average client is essentially like a carbon copy of my experience I think Mm. it's because people read my website and they're like this is me like yeah they feel validated (laughs) yes like finally somebody who like understands it but also because my experience was really similar to a lot of you know a lot of people's experience of the whole thing where Mm. they're that sort of like probably a type personality you know, have had some mental health stuff, can't get away from it now you're in this area, would love everything to be done down to the T. Like my first birth legitimately happened when I ticked the last thing off my maternity to-do list. <laughs> I also had a spreadsheet for that. Of course. Right? <laughs> so, you know, like right down to the wire to that day, I had control, in mm. inverted commas, of everything. So, yeah, so basically um, that is a lot of the type of client that I have um, Mm. who are just like really struggling with, yeah, the complete lack of control and the identity shift from being somebody who's like 
um, achieving in a sense of like, you know, what we deem as productivity, um, where in motherhood you could have, you can do the hardest work of your life and nobody notices. But if you wiped the table that day or put some dishes away, everyone would be like, oh my God, you're doing such Mm. a great job. But you know, you can, you can do all of the other things perfectly and nobody will know. And so how did COVID go for your business? Did it reframe your approach? Did you expect to have such an online element? Um, Well, interestingly, because, so I started it, I started dabbling with the work stuff when my son was about, was just, was like, yeah, a few months old. Then when he was eight months old, I put him in daycare um, one day a week, which was earlier than I wanted to, but I wanted him at the same daycare as my oldest and they had a day. So I was like, Mm. okay, well, I'm just going to do it because Mm. that's sort of like how it needs to work. Uh, And then, yeah, it kind of rolled from there. But um, I originally started doing work um, sort of more in the postpartum doula space. So I Mm -hmm. thought that to me, that made a lot of sense to go and work with people in the home in that really vulnerable time, because people do just need like the extra pair of hands and somebody to talk to. Um, And I thought that would be like a really nice way to work in with it. And then after launching, I realized people don't love spending money on preventative healthcare. (laughs) Mostly. (laughs) So um, the people who um, were my clients very much was this type of people who kind of like self-identified like, oh, you know. I will definitely need support in this time. And, mm-hmm. and that will be a really good thing for me. Um, mm-hmm. People who'd already been, you know, involved with counselors or other things throughout the rest of their lives. And were like, no, nah, this seems like a great idea, but pretty mm-hmm. much anybody else was like, you know, you can't really see why on earth you would need a doula. Like it doesn't sure. make a lot of sense until you mm-hmm. have a baby and you're like, oh, I get it. I get yes, it. Yes, totally. Yeah. You can't <laughs> preempt some of those things. Can you? No. And that's all. And it is a big expense. Mm. along with a lot of very expensive time. So then it sort of turned morphed into the fact that like, yeah, people really do kind of like start, you know, when you can't get away from something, that's when you are like, I'm going to do something about this. Mm. And mums are like classic for this in that we just don't have the time or capacity or space to do anything. So of course we kind of like often really leave it till the point where we're at boiling point Mm -hmm. um, to be like, I, I need, like help here Mm. um and then yeah just kind of like took that avenue and I started with online counseling until um like more people were kind of requesting to have a space to come and see me and then Mm -hmm. yeah got got my um, office yeah but it was sort of like it wasn't like I had an office and then COVID changed it it sort of Mm -hmm. like came out as COVID started coming out that makes sense that's good yeah so you almost came out of the other side of COVID with COVID essentially. So yeah, you'd probably at the same yeah, time. That's great. So it yeah. almost probably reframed your business before you even had a chance to get the plan down pat anyway. Yeah. But I think it made it makes it much more accessible. And I think the best part about mm. COVID has been this, like the fact that we are totally fine doing these even mm. podcast interviews online now. It's totally mm. normal. Um and also people are really fine doing counseling online. I personally mm. do my own counseling with a counselor who's not in Brisbane. So mm. you know I find that super handy. Lots of mums even in Brisbane who maybe have seen me in person end up doing it on Zoom so that they don't mm. have to drive. Yeah, of course. (laughs) And it might also break down that barrier for a lot of people who might have been too scared to physically arrive to a counsellor's office. If it's in their home, it might actually make them more susceptible to actually seeing someone. 
Yeah, you can also, you know, mm. like turn your screen off if you're breastfeeding, if you don't mm. love getting your boobs out in front of people mm. yet. Most people stop caring about that. But <laughs> Yeah, I was just you thinking, know. yeah, you pretty much just top everything's out all the time in my all living room. <laughs> yeah, yes. But, you know, there are like there are more discreet options or I can be mm. on the phone even. So you can mm. be like going about doing whatever else you need to do and it doesn't matter mm. if the baby's doing whatever they're doing. So, yeah, I think yeah. that's been really great. That has been a really good silver lining of COVID. So yeah. now you're a mother of two. You've got a thriving business. You also have a podcast. How do you actually fit it all in in the week? And are there any tips or hacks that help make your week flow? Um, uh, I think uh, these type of questions are really tricky because it's so mm-hmm. contextual to um, for everybody to what like support that they have um, and other things. So I'm lucky that I have a lot of flexibility with mm-hmm. uh, my work and my husband also has a reasonable, much more flexibility than he had pre-COVID. So back in the day, he used to do 14 hour days or 12 hour days and it was just me. Whereas now he, you know, can always make it for, he's either cooking dinner or I am. And Mm. and then the other one goes to pick the boys up and we can always have them home before 5.30. Like that would never have happened Mm pre-COVID for us. Yeah, that's Um, another silver lining, isn't it? 100%. Um, But in terms of um, me just making it work, just... um, I think it's always a process. I think you have to know what doesn't work to know what works. Mm. So I think you have to give some stuff a go. I don't think that there is one answer. I think if it feels good, then try it. And then if it sucks, then, you know, change it. That's really how I've done it. I've, you know, we went from two days a week working. And then when I felt that I could, I did three. Mm -hmm. Um, We used to go pick the boys up together because it just felt easier when they both like you know one of them couldn't walk and it was really hard to carry all of their stuff Mm. um so there was that support um I think yeah it was a lot about us figuring out how to do it because there's a lot of things that we could get away with with one baby Mm. the two parents that we just like absolutely couldn't live through in the same way um trying Mm. to juggle it all but yeah I think I mean I even shared on Instagram last night it's not perfect and um, I try and schedule in times for things, but if it doesn't work, I also feel like the best learning is not hating yourself for that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Accepting <laughs> that things are changed forever now as a parent, things aren't going to flow exactly the way they did before. No. And, and that like, you can continually just make those like micro decisions to, mm. to move it around to the point that at that point it feels good. Because the other thing is there is no place to get to because the place to get to is being really good at changing the place that you're at Mm. like your kids Mm. are always going to do something different you can nail it like you can be like yeah I've got this whole thing down pat and then your kid's going to decide that even though they've woken up at 505 every single morning for their whole life Mm. now they're going to wake up at 6 30 and now you're not going to be on time Mm. or you know like I think like they sleep in when you want to go somewhere and they don't sleep in when you've got nothing up every time (laughs) so I feel you know the key for for making things work is getting really good at being nice to yourself and getting really good at never feeling like you're making finite decisions about anything Mm -hmm. being okay with doing it one step at a time because Mm -hmm. it's gonna continue to change Mm -hmm. that's such good advice and kids change as they get older too Mm-hmm. And our lives and our careers constantly ebb and flow with what's going on in our lives. That's a really good piece of advice. Mm. 
So now, Gemma, we'll move on to some Instagram follower questions. So we have four questions from our followers. So the first one is how to integrate professional and mother and make steady steps forward. Well, actually, I thought about this and I think I'm going to refer um, some of this because my favorite person in this space is Dr. Sophie Brock. She's a sociologist. She talks a lot about a thing called the care career conundrum, mm-hmm. but she t- she unpacks How have everything. Have I not found this? Well, look, you're mm-hmm. welcome because mm-hmm. she's bloody amazing. Um, she explains everything so eloquently and um, from a sociological perspective, then you can understand why, and I'm really big on this for, from a social work perspective, mm-hmm. none of our individual issues are like purely our issues, right? You have to understand mm-hmm. world history, you know, the gender layer, your economic, like your generation, like everything is so intertwined. Mm-hmm. Um, and she um, really eloquently explains why, bridging those two people is so hard, which essentially comes down to the fact that who you're supposed to be as a mother and who you're supposed to be as a worker are polar opposite people. Mm. Mothers are give mm. everything. They're supposed to be happy about that. We're, we're, we're not, you know, we're not productive in a, a normal sense, blah, blah, blah. We have to go with the flow. We have to do all these things. And in your job, you know, you have to be everywhere on time doing productive things Mm. you have like set things like you are literally trying to meld whole opposite people ideas values and it's incredibly difficult and that's why it's so hard (laughs) that's so interesting okay we're Mm. going to look up her work that's a great yeah dr sophie brock and she has been on my podcast too so there's an episode where we purely talk about the care career conundrum Awesome. Okay. We'll Hmm. have to look that one up. The second question is tips to break up the day when feeling a little stuck, bored, or not mentally stimulated. Um, I'm assuming this is related to having a baby. Yes. Sorry. Yes. This is (laughs) not at work. (laughs) I'm feeling bored at work. What should I do? Well, I mean, like, look, that that could have a nap. I don't know. Um, uh, I think my, the, I, Probably people have heard this before. And I think the hardest Mm. thing is that it's very hard to do. But my whole thing, and I remember reading it in like this baby document that I got was like, try and have one outing a day. Mm -hmm. And I know that sounds like so simple, but it always made my life better purely Mm. because it takes so goddamn long to get out of the house that that takes a lot of your time. Then you're Mm. out of the house and that's taking up a lot of your time and then you get home you have to kind of like unpack from that and then feed the baby and then do all these things and then that's then your, your whole day's pretty much mm-hmm. taken care of from your mm-hmm. one outing and you've um, had a change of scenery absolutely so mm-hmm. anywhere that you can be uh like outside and especially anywhere you can be around other people because mm-hmm. the key thing the most protective factor for maternal mental health is connection with others and this is a time where we're really likely to be alone. Mm-hmm. And it's funny, isn't it? Because you're with a baby the whole time. So you can never feel less alone, but more lonely at the same time. So it probably makes some mothers forget that they actually need those connections because you're yes. so busy with this connection with a baby that isn't really giving you much in terms of our emotional and mental conversation. No. And like, there's a lot that goes on with mothers and babies. That's very important. And that's... Mm very beautiful but when it comes to like the people who can like validate and understand you 
and all of those things like yeah it's those are two totally separate things so mm-hmm. absolutely it is really important for you to have that time with your baby but it's so so important to be um with other people and I'm like you know the world's biggest cheerleader for any sort of mother's group that feels good for people there are so many now so I think that's great because you can kind of like look through websites find your kind of group and then mm. try it out but that's yeah you 100 be around people or get outside it definitely lightens the load and helps to validate any feelings I agree with that tip wholeheartedly yeah. So the third question here is tips for communicating what you're going through to your partner in early postpartum. There's obviously a lot going on, hormones on fire. Yeah, and also probably for a lot of people, um, for the first time, gender roles really being highlighted. Mm. So we're like the first, one of the first generations who have come into parenthood probably with like a, you know, reasonably long-standing relationship that we've probably made very even mm. because that is Such what we do. Such an interesting point. Right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And then this just purely from a biological standpoint stuffs that up. And then also from because of this and because of history and all the rest that, you know, often it is a male mm-hmm. partner who is then working that creates mm-hmm. a different power dynamic in who's earning the money, even though mm-hmm. you have both decided that this makes the most sense because mm-hmm. maybe you're also breastfeeding your baby if you are that's fine if you're not that's also fine but you may still be the one you know if you've given birth then you're very likely to be the one who's taking the majority of the maternity leave Mm -hmm. we're seeing some like awesome stuff happen now with people being able to share that um, leave Um, but we're still not seeing the massive shifts in uh, there's a lot of um, cultural stuff that goes on with male workplaces that you know Mm -hmm. even if they asked for three months off their bosses might be like dude like what you know yeah that's a really interesting one because a poll I put on Instagram I said the question was along the lines of you know whether you'd up the daycare or a dad could pull back when you went in back into work and a lot of the answers were he would love to but he can't they won't let Mm -hmm. him pull back on work right it's a cultural thing because Mm -hmm. we are at the forefront of men wanting to do that Mm -hmm. And the people who are blocking them are from the previous generation of Mm. men who didn't have that and potentially didn't want to do it or just at that time didn't see the value of it or maybe they Mm -hmm. missed out and they're thinking, well, I missed out, you miss out too, whatever Mm -hmm. it is. But it's that whole piece, it's like the cultural piece and the gender piece is one of the very hardest things for couples because for the first time you don't have a lot of control over what feels fair or unfair. Mm -hmm. And that's a huge thing in a relationship. If you're trying to make things fair, that just are not going to be fair probably for a little bit. Um, And just navigating how, how you speak with each other, it's going to look very different. You may for the first time actually have to have, um, you know, agreed arrangements on when to stop conversations before they go too far mm-hmm. or um, all of these things that you didn't have to talk about before. You didn't have to mm, talk have about. To about. Or maybe you did, but you never had to do it to this extent, mm-hmm. you know, because you used to just spend time with your partner because you got home from work and you just had dinner together. Mm-hmm. Now that doesn't God, happen. That feels so distant, that memory. Right. <laughs> just but, getting home and be like, oh, what should we do now? <laughs> yep. 
we can just swan around and we can yes. just make dinner whenever we please. <laughs> and then well, do you, you want to go out? Let's go out right now. <laughs> exactly. So all of this freedom from both of you is taken. Mm. Then the gender roles are put on top of that. Then the tiredness and all of the other stuff is put on top of that. So I think in terms of like how to communicate is like one, knowing all of this stuff, because I mm. feel like people who feel like they're failing or people feel like their relationship is fundamentally broken, but mm. actually in that first year postpartum is like the, you know, lowest satisfaction rating for relationships ever mm. on the continuum. And then I think it takes five years for that to, you know, um, like pan back out to what looks somewhat wow. normal mm. through lots of these types of conversations, figuring out how these things work, figuring out how you work as parents and then how you work as an actual couple, mm. um, there's a, but there's... you're getting to know each other in like such a new way, aren't you? You're basically yes. strangers to each other in a sense. Yes, but then at the same time you're not and there's this lineage mm. of your whole narrative before now and then, mm. you know. Everything you thought of each other and thought to expect of each other. And what you did for each other before, mm. which is just not possible a lot, you know, like a lot of women feel so touched out and so like this intense thing that they're doing with their baby all day that if mm -hmm. their partner even looked at them sideways after you know 5 p.m they're like don't even like I don't literally I Go can't even actually room. talk about that <laughs> right now I know okay that all too well. <laughs> yeah mm -hmm. but all of these things is also because we haven't talked about them we don't know what to mm -hmm. do with them we don't know what level of what is normal we don't know how to integrate ourselves back into that there's like no conversation about women just experiencing pleasure again for themselves mm -hmm. to figure out how their body is going and how they feel as an individual we're always constantly talking about like how how to have sex with each other again yeah. how to do it. it's like there is and just it's like so the guilt much. on the women of like oh I'm six months postpartum and I still don't feel like it what's wrong with me like, oh, I think that's pretty normal, but you're made to feel like there's something wrong with you. Yeah. And this is, again, it's like a historical thing. I I was mm. listening to um Esther Perel. I went to her. Um, She's like a, a relationship psychotherapist mm. and a very well-known one. And she um was talking about one of the things she said was that she thinks it's actually an 18-month range because mm. when a baby um chimp is born, it is the equivalent to what our children are like at 18 months, right? It's like that independent mm. but because we're mammals and because we need to like we have like small hips and whatever we have to give birth to our babies when they're like totally not ready for the world mm. um so we have this really intense period of time where they just like naturally have to be our top priority because they literally need us so much mm. yeah like and then, they may as well still be inside of us they need us that much type thing well so many mm. other animals they are yeah that's really interesting <laughs> we have them at this time period that is very inconvenient for human mothers mm -hmm. because we then have to kind of nurture them not in the womb but essentially now you can kind of see it right they're like on mm -hmm. us all the time I've they never just, thought of that yeah they can't really walk for a really freaking long time like <laughs> whereas these other babies walk. just like come out and start walking like good yeah. on you mate that's yeah. great for that elephant mum um <laughs> not great for us but there's all of these things that we don't talk about and that make a lot of sense. But when you're talking about humans, we like, cool, we tick you off at the six week mm -hmm. mark after birth. And then you have to figure out how to talk to your partner about mm -hmm. that when that is not something that you are thinking about. I remember that, that. I remember at six weeks postpartum being like, wow, I think this is when you're meant to start to feel pretty 
good and normal. That's absolutely not the case. Absolutely not the case. I'm still, I mean, I'm never going to be the person I was before I gave birth, but it takes so much longer than society tells you to feel like yourself again. And you never will totally be that person before anyway. No, but I do feel like at some point you become this very, this like much better version because Mm. of all the things that you know now and also because of the things that you know that you like or you don't Mm. and the way that you've been able to learn how to communicate with your partner. But I do Mm -hmm. lots of like um, counseling with couples to figure this out as well. So I think there's like a lot of validity to having a third party um, involved just because it's really hard to talk about together without, you know, yeah, when you're both Stuff running on down. the sleep <laughs> and there's stressors and all of the rest. That's yeah. a really great answer. So that comes to our last question, which is how to put parenting on your resume when you're re-entering the workforce. I'm assuming this person may have had a career pause, which I imagine became even more prominent for mothers going through COVID as a new parent. I imagine it would have been harder to get in the workforce perhaps. So any tips around that? Yeah. So I love that this is a question because I think it catches people off guard when, you know, you do go to do it and then you're like, oh geez, like, do I try and pad this out and kind of hide the fact? And so Mm. I had some really great advice. So I was obviously in in HR and I had a wonderful manager who had had two children, um, we're friends, but she helped me when I did that, that first application. So she basically said, um, you know, just highlight everything as you would. And then in the, if you feel that it's a very gaping hole, you, you can't, you just overtly write, you know, I have mm. been on parental leave for such and such a time. Like people will figure that out. Mm. Um, so if you just put it out there, then that's important. And also like, I feel like, you know, if somebody is not going to hire you because of that, you don't actually want to work there. Point. Mm. Like real, like really mm. we're in the, day and age where that it really shouldn't be mm. an issue we don't mm. we th- there's like lots of studies to show that women become like much more productive mm. from a work perspective after you've had babies my manager definitely proves that she's <laughs> a mother of two about six and ten they were when you know we went through the last few years of COVID they would have been six and ten last year sorry and she the amount of work she got done in four days a week was phenomenal. And that always gave me a lot of confidence, even though I was always so scared about telling my boss I was pregnant and going on maternity leave. And I'm still scared about returning to work. That's always provided so much comfort, comfort seeing how she used her week and used her time. Yeah. Yeah. And I think there's a lot in um, just being like really gentle with yourself when you do start because it, it can feel different. Sometimes it doesn't, sometimes it does. And, you know, you, especially if you're returning back to the same role, I know lots of people feel like um, strange because you have come back as a different person than you left. Mm-hmm. Um, that's something that's really important. But um, on the resume component too, if you have listed your jobs and everything's in chronological order, you can literally just have something as simple as a line that just says uh, like currently on parental leave mm-hmm. from such and such a date. Like it doesn't have to be mm. extensive. You don't have to prove that you now really want to come back to work and that you're going to be mm. available 24 hours a day and all mm. of this stuff. Like you don't, you just have to say, this is what I'm doing. I've been mm. on parental leave. I think that's a great point too, because we can so quickly sort of, I don't know, we like overdo the apology and the guilt thing, and that can seep into work very quickly. 
Yeah. And if you want someone to hire you because you're saying, I will absolutely not have boundaries for you, then Mm -hmm. great, do it that way. But Mm -hmm. I don't think somebody saying like I don't think not having boundaries when you're a mum is a good idea because you you have to (laughs) you literally have to for the first time ever like you can sort of run at whatever pace you want before kids and you know hope for the best hope it doesn't take too much of a toll on your mental health or your physical health but once you have children you absolutely have to have boundaries in place so that's a really good point yeah. And that is actually really hard. So I know we've just made that sound really simple, but yeah, lots boundaries. and lots of, <laughs> yeah, right. But lots of people find that really hard because they mm. want to, they want to prove that they're just as good as they were. And what mm. they used to do is have no boundaries and that's why mm. they were so good. And now it's like, I need to protect myself and I need to protect, you know, my family time and all of those things mm. by having some boundaries. It's funny that you brought up boundaries too, actually, because I just did an Instagram post about that. And I've been thinking about a lot how much overtime I used to do before kids and how not only am I going to work three or four days a week when I return, I'm not going to do overtime. I'm going to work hard in the hours I have, but that's it. So like you really do need to come up with this new version of yourself that backs yourself in and has boundaries. Whereas I used to be that person that, what can I do for you? I'm so sorry that I haven't thought of it yet. Yep. Yes, right. But the problem with that is that we do that and we get so much praise and we do become the best people because mm-hmm. everybody's like, these people are wonderful because they're going to absolutely roll themselves so mm-hmm. that we don't have to. And now mm-hmm. it's like, no, I'm sorry, no, but no. like we can't anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, and that is very dif- difficult to navigate when you have never had to do that before. Mm-hmm. That will be an interesting one. That could be um, another conversation in and of itself. Totally, yeah. Gemma, this has been A, very funny. I've absolutely loved some of your stories, but B, unbelievably fascinating and helpful. So thank you so much for being here. Where can we find you online? Thank you. It has been very fun. Um, I am at together.perinatal on Instagram Um, that's actually the best place to find me because it's got links to everything else. And um, I share more of my random stories in my stories on there um, as well as, yeah, you can find booking links and all the rest. Awesome. And you do share some really good content on your Instagram. So I highly recommend everyone follows that's listening. Thank you so much for being here. All right. Thanks so much. Thanks for listening to Ready or Not. If you liked the show, please tell your friends, subscribe or write a review. You can also find us on Instagram at readyornot.pod. In acknowledging the traditional owners of country throughout Australia, each episode I'll be doing a shout-out to an Indigenous business or charity doing great things. This week it's Mara Collective, an Australian luxury resort wear brand that works closely with Indigenous artists and creatives, drawing inspiration from country to present within the context of contemporary fashion. With every product purchased, they give back proceeds to support digital training and education in remote Aboriginal communities. That's it for today. See you next time.